Yeah, what's going on, bro? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How's you? Oh, not too bad about yourself. Yeah, yeah, I'm really good. I'm really. I've been looking forward to today. Oh Where's yeah, Rob? me too, man. I've been pumped. I, I don't know. We're. Uh, I think we're still waiting on him. I don't know if he's connected or not yet. We'll just bullshit until then. Uh, what's yeah. going on, everybody? Welcome to Wise Guys Hideaway, uh, episode thirty. We uh we made it, the big three zero. So today we're gonna be talking about Carlo Gambino. But first, me and David are waiting on uh, our boy, you know, Boston Rob to uh to link up. So. Boston Rob, how's your my my khakis? Hey, sweet. I, I'll just go on a fucking ramble for the next twenty minutes until Rob, you know, comes and hops on. So how how far is um is Boston away from you, Ian? Uh, about I'd say five and a half, six hours, something like that. See? If I if I flew. <laughs> hey, oh, Rob, what's good? What's up, Rob? What's up, boys? Yes, Rob. <laughs> what are we doing today, buddy? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm fucking terrible. You guys got me up super early. <laughs> I'm buzzing. This is great, man. This is this. Yeah, this is great. It's going to be a good time, boys. All right, everybody. Welcome to Wise Guys Hideaway for the second time. Today, we're going to be talking about Carlo Gambino uh, with with my brothers, you know, Bast and Rob, and then my, my boy from uh, across the pond, David. And uh, I, I mean, who wants to start us off? Let's get, let's get the shout outs out of the way first. So whoever wants to lead in with their shout outs and uh, then the second person go and then I'll go last. So, I mean, you guys. It's go on, I've got a lot of respect for Merlot Social Club, so I'm going to let Rob go first and give you shout-outs. Right on, I agree. Yeah, shout-out to Omerita Social Club, uh, The Mob King, Prison Tales, I Thing Apparel. That's it for me. That's it for you. David, what well, you got, brother? I've, obviously, I've got a second all of those ones that Rob's giving a shout-out to, um, and I'm going to include uh, National Crime Syndicate, um, bad guy podcast, gangster profiles. Um, my man Christian Cipollini. Uh, Rob's mentioned a murder social club. I did say National Crime Syndicate, didn't I? Craig at National Crime Syndicate. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Dr. J. Michael Nyata, of course. Um, Seth Ranty, big shout out to all them guys. And my new publisher or editor, Mitzi Soretto. Big shout out to Mitzi. Yeah, uh, yeah, an extra special shout out to Mitzi. I appreciate her uh, sharing the podcast and every, all the nice things she said about it in the post. That was very sweet. It uh, definitely boosted my ego, so I really appreciate her. Good. I got to give a shout out to uh, Our Thing Clothing Apparel as well. Shout out to the National Crime Syndicate, Scott M. Bernstein, uh, the proprietor of the original Gangster Podcast. And then, as I did last week, I'll do this week. Uh, for all my Metro Detroit listeners, if uh, if anything needs to be you know added to your car, your car just needs maintenance in general, you can get a hold of some uh, good people I know. Uh, they're called the 392 Brothers Mobile Mechanics, and uh, they're limited service because they're an up-and-coming company, but they're good at what they do, and, and they hold it down. If you need to get a hold of them, just dial 313-974-2222. Just ask for Alex. He'll give you a free quote, and uh, go ahead and tell him the hideaway sent you. He'll, uh, he'll really like to hear that. So, uh, I mean, other than that, that's all I got. Who wants to fucking dive on in to Carlo Gambino? Well, do you know what? I think Rob should go first because, Rob, them, them images, that's exactly the sort of information that I was trying to get together. So I think them images you sent us are perfect. So I reckon Rob should go first. Sorry, Rob. Yeah. No, yeah. Right. I mean, lead us in, Rob. I mean, I'll, I'll do the dates real quick. Carlo Gambino, born August 24th, 1902 uh, in Palermo, Sicily, and died October 15th, 1976 at his home. And it was upstate New York, wasn't it, Rob? Or was it Long Island? Long Island. Island? Okay, yeah, and uh, he died watching a Yankees game, correct? Like, uh, he did, I believe so. Right on. Okay, well, I mean, why don't you why don't you talk us through uh, some of the earlier Gambino years when he was just a young buck coming up in Sicily? 
Yeah, like you said, he was born August 24th, 1902 in Palermo, Sicily. His mother and his father, um, his mother, Felice Castellano, and uh, she was the one who related to the Castellano. Yeah, uh, Paul, uh, uh, he married his first cousin, didn't he? Carlo did, yeah, he married yeah. Uh, his first cousin. His father was Tommaso Gambino. The family belonged to a, um, you know, a local crime family, Paso Di Regano, I believe the name of it is. Yeah, yeah, something, he, something like that. He grew up in Costa Nostra, didn't he? I mean, he, he's, he, it was the life already for him, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, from yeah, the time he touched that. Yep, sorry, Rob. <laughs> yeah, they said uh, he was doing hits at age 19 back in, uh, back in Sicily, so. Wow. He was, uh, he got made before he even came over here. That's crazy. Wouldn't that make him one of the, I see, like, if he was made before he came over here, that, that makes him one of the youngest people to ever receive their button, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a very young age. Yeah, that's an incredibly young age. <laughs> it's, and it's, he's a real man of honor, isn't he? That's what they call it over in Sicily. So, I mean, he's, he's kind of um, where tradition began. Um, so it wasn't just as if he was made into the mafia. I mean, he was, he was at the headquarters, if you like. Oh yeah, oh yeah, most definitely. Rob, uh, if you were made over in Sicily, did that hold more standing in the American mob? I mean, back then, I know it probably doesn't mean shit now, and it probably stopped meaning anything really, really quick. But like, I don't know, in Carlos' time, would that have meant something more, or would it just not have meant anything different? Yeah, I think it would. You know, it's a lot harder to be in with the um, Sicilians and you know, getting made and all that over there. So I believe that did uh, put him in a higher standing than others. I would think so, you know, because, like, if you if you get, uh, like, initiated where, like, the whole thing, like, originates from, and then you got guys over here who have never even seen Sicily, by the time Carlo comes over, there's, uh, I don't know. No, there was a couple that were born here by then, weren't they? I believe or, so. I, 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 would, I would think so, because Carlo comes around when, like, Let's see, 1922? Does he come here in 1922? I believe it was um, December 23rd, 1921. 1921, okay. Um, he entered the U.S. Uh, through Virginia on um, a boat called uh, SS Vincenzo Florio. Now, didn't his, uh, did his mother send him to avoid, like, um, wasn't there, like, a sort of a, a war going on in, like, his, like, native village, city, whatever you want to call it? I believe so. <clears throat> he already had family over here, so it, um, you know, it, it worked out well for him when he came over. Um, I believe it was the Castellano family owned a trucking company. Yeah, yeah, and he started. Uh, that's where he started riding shotgun as a bootlegger. Actually, yep. a lot of people don't know that about Carlo. They think that he was just like real mild mannered and quiet, and he was. But like, I mean, the, those like early years as a gangster. I mean, you still got to be a gangster. You still got to show up and show out. You know, you still got to catch some bodies. <laughs> Yeah, he married Catherine Castellano in 1932, and she was the sister of uh, Paul Castellano. Now, he uh, he started working, didn't he? Uh, was he a uh, Mazzaria or was he Maranzano? <laughs> I know, I know he, I know Maranzano. he was Maranzano. Mar yeah, well, he, he was, was Maranzano at first, wasn't he? Uh, I thought, was, uh, I thought so. Salvatore di Aquila. I, I may be pronouncing his last name wrong, but uh, when he first came over, that was, was uh, who was in charge. And then after he got killed, Mazaria took over 
uh, his rackets. And, um, and then after that, I believe is when he went with Marizano. Okay. So he idly sat by while Luciano, Anastasia, Genovese, and all them set up the hit on, uh, on Joe, the boss. Uh, that was April 15th, 1931. When Mazzarillo yeah. took out at, uh, Nueva tomorrow, tomorrow via, how do you say it? <laughs> how the fuck do you say that restaurant? It's like the one, the one where Joe Mazzaria was killed. It's uh, Nuovo Villa Tomorrow or something like that. I, I, yeah, I think that's how you would pronounce it. For sure. Yeah, I'm I'm terrible with some of these. When, when they stretch the Italian language out real good, you know, if it's short and sweet, I got it. But, like, yeah. But, like, once they do that, yeah, Carlo goes with uh, Sal Maranzano. And I don't know, man. He was just always so good at, like, idly sitting by and letting everything sort of, like, just let the, the dealer deal him his hand. <laughs> It's funny you should say that, Ian, and I know that um, Rob's got a view on uh, Thomas Obisqueta as well. Um, but when you look at the Sicilian Mafia, when you look at uh, Cosa Nostra, they were really silent until 1985 with Rihanna. Uh, now, I mean, I've got my own views on the type of person Rihanna was. Um, but Carlo, for me, epitomised Cosa Nostra. I mean, he... Not the American uh, mafia, but he epitomised Costa Nostra the way he was. Um, he went about things like you said, Ian, in a quiet way, um, and I think that was the way of Costa Nostra until obviously Rena and and the, the war with uh, Buschetta. Um, so um, yeah, it, it, it all fits in a way. Absolutely, I mean. It, I mean, it says a lot to where, because there's a lot of guys, you get like your Carmine Galantes and your Albert Anastasias, and I don't even think they gave Carmine Galante like a, a proper funeral. I don't think the church would allow him to have like a regular service. Albert Anastasia had 12 people at his funeral. I mean, guys like Roy DeMeo, I mean, all, all, like, all sorts of people, they're not missed very much. Like even Vio Genovese had like a rather small funeral when you're that fish. Carlo Gambino had like 2,200 people. Mm. gathered outside the church steeples w- waiting to see off the actual godfather like for me i don't know everybody always says frank costello but it, w- if i think of like the closest thing to a, a don vito corleone i think of a carlo gambino that's yeah. just me though 100 percent. yeah even though i guess vito was sort of based off costello with the political contacts and shit like that but i i, I just still i don't know costello was still too public for me to like to give him the credit of like Don Vito Corleone. Like if anything, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's gotta be Carlo Gambino for me, but uh, how did uh, anybody want to go into how he sort of linked up with Anastasia and, you know, uh, eventually became his underboss. And then like, I mean, anybody want to guide us through that little time period? Yeah. Who wants to go? Go on, Bob. <laughs> okay. Well, he started with, um, he started with Anastasia and, um, when he first started with them, Mangano uh, was in charge of the family. And yeah. Anastasia, yep. Anastasia was uh, serving as Mangano's underboss. But there became a point, like with a lot of underbosses, where they want the top spot. Yeah, and Anastasia made both him and his brother disappear for a stretch. And then they found his brother, Philip, uh, upstate. I, I believe, uh, yep. floating. Uh, and then they never found uh, Mangano, did they? No, they did not. Yeah, that's incredible, man. Anastasia was a vicious prick. Yeah, I don't think his brother was meant to be found either, you know, or, or maybe he was, but... 
No, I wouldn't think it was. I would I would agree. I would think that was a hundred percent accident. Cause I think it was just like his torso or some shit. It it was set up to where like they you would think that they were trying to make sure they never disappeared. But hundred percent. And never was never found. But I mean I don't know. That's uh, sometimes that's easier said than done or little mistakes happen. I mean, look at the, the Westie said on Ruby Stein, all they forgot to do was puncture the lungs. Otherwise that would have been a perfect murder. You know, I mean, yep. like, so, like sometimes it, the, the littlest things, especially in like, I'm like, I, I, I've never had to dispose of a body like that. So I can't imagine the adrenaline rush you're feeling. Is, you're like, do we, well, is there an official, is there an official number of bodies still missing? Obviously you've got um, the most famous in, um, um, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, the union guy, um, Hoffa. Hoffa. Jimmy, Jimmy Hoffa. Hoffa. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. I mean, he, he's and still missing. Obviously, I'm gonna fucking rant and ramble. And if you don't believe me, ask Scott Bernstein. You don't believe Scott Bernstein? Ask another Detroit mob expert, expert like Al Prophet or something like. Frank Sharon did not fucking kill Jimmy Hoffa. No, I don't, I don't believe he did either. No, he did not. It, <laughs> Scott Bernstein has the closest story to the truth that i think we're ever gonna get. i believe that too yeah yeah and, and that's still it was so it was such a high profile hit that they kept it under wraps but that's why the whole frank sharon bit doesn't work out was he a killer yes did he work for russell buffalino absolutely was he jimmy hoffa's friend you betcha but did that's he where I got mad. a chance that's where i got mad at the irishman by martin scorsese i felt like detroit was sort of like like i don't know just kind of shunned from that movie when we played a lot bigger role in that time period. Like, you know what I mean? Like, during, like, during, like, the but, trucking days. Well, Hollywood don't matter about the fact, about the truth, though, do <laughs> Why let the truth get in the way of entertainment? Right, right. But it wasn't even that entertaining. Robert De Niro's, on, like, got one foot in the grave, one on a banana peel. That kick that he throws on the dude, the dude who grabs his daughter or whatever, and he goes down to the deli playing tough guy. That is one of the worst, like, beatings I've yeah, seen. It wasn't, wasn't one of the best films, I don't think. No, James Conn beating up fucking uh, what's his face that beat that like beats up Connie in the street where he misses like three punches because back in the day they didn't have the whole you know effect to where you can make it look like they hit him even when you didn't you had to yeah. get as close as you could. That fight scene is still better than Robert De Niro beating up the <laughs> deli guy. I'm t- I will rant about this forever. I hated the Irishman. I hated the Irishman. I hated Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. Both of my favorite directors are fucking slipping, and it's a it's a <laughs> For real, once upon a time, it was another three-hour waste of my life, and I just thought I couldn't fathom it. I'm sorry, I'm I'm rambling. Uh, anyway, Rob, no, back to no, This is the point, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, I mean, this is why you start a podcast so you can bitch about everything you don't like. And <laughs> <still> never... <laughs> I believe during the uh, Castle Castle Mari uh, war between uh, Salvatore Maranzano and Joe the Boss Mazzaria, Gambino got out of town. He was actually. Uh, I, I don't want to say hiding out, but he was over here in Massachusetts in the, my neck of the woods. And oh, just holding down Boston, being like, I'm going to let this whole little this whole little war settle itself. He's all like, I'll duck yeah. into wherever. I don't blame him. Fuck those guys. <laughs> he was arrested in uh, Lawrence, Massachusetts in 1930 as a suspicious person. And uh, that charge ended up getting dismissed. And a month, But a month later, he was arrested again. Uh in Brock's in Massachusetts on a larceny charge. And after yeah. that, he, uh, he didn't show up for court for that thing. And uh, four years later, he ended up being arrested in that uh, Manhattan. Um, oh, yeah, and they, they shipped him back. Didn't he only pay like $1,000 and fucking like walk yeah. away free? Yeah, yeah, they shipped him back to Massachusetts and he paid uh, a $1,000 uh, restitution and the charge was dropped. 
God, what a time to be alive. Yeah, mate. If I ever fled on a four-year warrant and they picked me up and sent me back to Massachusetts, I'm going to at least Suffolk County, I, at least County. I don't know how these people do it on the run. I, you know, I, I really don't. I know I'm fucking almost done with the Carmine Persico book. Gook, Jesus. Almost done with the Carmine Persico book by uh, Frank DiMatteo. And uh, I didn't realize Carmine spent that much time on the run. I'm, I'm going to veer off a little bit from Carlo and just talk about gangsters in general. Because, yeah, man, I didn't realize he spent that much time on the lamb. I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude. That's like, I, that's no way to live. I don't care if you're a mob boss or not. Like, you're never at your own place. You're always like couch surfing. And, like, yeah, I mean, you can set up wherever you're staying real luxuriously, but. Then you just got to dip out again. Like I, mean, you, I, I can actually talk from experience. I was, I, um, I'd breached my license. I, I mean, I'm not a profession to be part of organized crime, but um, I breached my license conditions and I was wanted to be taken back to prison. So I went on the run and for 16 days, I, I managed to stay away from the old building and I got caught. Oh, Bill, them, I love that. I love that shit. Them 16 days were not 16 days of freedom. They were 16 days of paranoia. They were 16 days <laughs> of jumping every time the phone rang, the door knocked, a car drove past. It's horrible. I I, I can't imagine people being on the run um, for like years and years at a time. That, that Decades and shit, just, yeah, it's crazy. And, and the same for going in WITSEC as well. I mean, in the Witness Protection Programme, that um, that must be continually just looking over your shoulders. And you must – I was listening to Frank Collotta again, and he was talking about he got moved down south. Does he sound like he's from down south? So he had to just come up with a lie. But then you have to remember the lie that you've come up with all the time because you never know who's listening. It's, it must be. Oh no, I don't. I, I don't feel. I, I'd. I'd have to go to prison just because I wouldn't be able to go on the run. That's why I wouldn't be out rat. I'd, I'd stuff going on the Whitsig or anything like that. Yeah, I'd I fucking do it. I, go ahead, Rob. I couldn't do it. Meaning, like being on the run. I don't. I don't know. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter how much money you have or the connections you have. One small mistake and and you're done. I'm actually surprised. Uh, Bulger lasted so long. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, that that's uh that's just impressive. That's like an Osama bin Laden level of hide and seek playing. You know what I mean? That yeah. there's another motherfucker who it just like it just seemed like he must have never been found as a kid if hide and seek was a game. Like that they, <laughs> they must have just been like, where Jimmy are you? Yeah, does the Houdini better than Houdini ever? Right, well, Thirty five years on the road. Yeah. What if he did, though? What if it turned out he was never killed? And he's like, nah, it was just a goof. Like, I've been on the run spending this union money the whole time. You want to know why truckers don't make as much as they used to? <laughs> for real, though, it, the, the funny thing is, for me with uh, Gambino, is just how how quiet and, like, well-mannered he was, but how many fucking bodies that yeah. he probably has under his belt. Like, not even, like, personally, just, like, ordered. With you know, a like, nod of the head as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, nothing. He never blew up. You don't got him on tape being like, I, me, Carlo Gambino will sever your motherfucking head off. No, uh -huh. like, you don't. Hey, you like that one, Rob? I, I hope some yeah. of the, the your mob fans get that one. It would be hilarious to hear, but like, yeah, you're not going to hear that. You're not that's, gonna, what I mean, never... that's what I mean, Ian, in respect to the Sicilian background, be, growing up in actual Cosa Nostra itself and growing up within the culture, not within, if you like, an offshoot of the mafia he was actually brought up as a real man of honor and i think that really does place a spotlight on the kind of boss he was he was 
a boss from Cosa Nostra rather than a boss of the Italian-American mafia, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. But like, that's where he's just a rare breed, too, because Joe yeah. Bonanno was also a Sicilian man of honor, and he got real fucking public towards the end of his run. Exactly. I don't know if it was Dimension or what it was. Same with uh, Genovese was made in Sicily, wasn't he? Or was he made here? Uh, no, he was um, he was uh, Naples. He was from uh, okay. um, uh, he was from near Naples. I forgot the name of the uh, oh, uh, Nola. Nola. He was okay. from Nola, uh, which is near Naples, and that's where he went back to. But uh, the I mean, the guy that Vito Genovese worked with during the Second World War when he was out over in uh, over in Italy, um, Calagero Vizzini, I, he was proper old school himself. But you yeah. look at, and as I say, if you look, even um, Thomas Obusqueta, you look at, you look at Costa Nostra before uh, Riena, and it's all tradition. It's all, I mean, he really, uh, he turned it into a, a, a terrorist group, in my opinion, uh, Riena. Um, <laughs> and yeah. uh, the way that, I mean, Busqueta was out of the way. He, he didn't need to take his family out. Uh, and I and I think that was the beginning of the end of Costa Nostra because obviously uh, he went the other way, didn't he? And what people seem to forget about Busqueta is that he tried killing himself. He had gone on hunger strike. His last option was to come over and, and to stop the killing was to rat. That was the only option. He he tried killing himself and he couldn't even kill himself. He failed at killing himself. They caught him. Um, when he was in Brazil before he come back, so know. yeah, he tried everything first, um, and the last. But they had told him. He told this guy that come over from Sicily to talk to him about Riena. He said, "Listen, I don't want to get involved. I'm happy in Brazil. I've got my drug thing going here. I don't want to come back to Sicily, and I don't want a war. Let him take over if he wants to take over." And he went back and told Riena, "You're in trouble. Uh, Busquet is going to come after you." And that's when he started going after his family. That's when uh, Riena started going after Busquets' family. So for me, that was the end of Cosa Nostra. Um, but I think people like uh, Carlo Gambino were very much the epitome of what Cosa Nostra stood for and what Cosa Nostra was about. And that is why he lasted as long as he did. I mean, yeah, he died of natural causes, having only ever served 22 months, I believe it was, for tax yep. evasion. Um when was that, 30, 33, 36, something like that? It was in the 30s, like wasn't it? But, yeah, tw I mean, 22 months, and you you ran with all the guys who ended up doing 2,200 fucking years when you tally it all together. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you came up with the original Mafia Echelon, the original commission. I mean, you, you kind of, like, you were a, a younger guy during that time. They were sort of, like, your mentors in a, in a sense. Um, yeah. But – go ahead, Rob. boss did it right. It's Carlo Gambino. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. I'd say Carlo Gambino. And, uh, I mean, I, I would also give it to Joe Colombo until that second round of the Italian-American Civil Rights League. Like, he was too public and flaunty, but he was really smart politically if he could have just chilled the fuck out. Yeah, but then he – I mean, he only become boss because he went running to the commission – about uh, uh, Magilocco and, and uh, Magadino, didn't he? Because they put a they put a contract on Gambino um, and Pavacci. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> talk, talk about the power Carlo held right there. Right there will tell people the kind of like power that Carlo Gambino held. Somebody, a couple bosses, want to get together and and make a little move on Pavacci and Gambino. They give the job to, uh, you know, just a mid-level capo and name it, you know, Damien yep. Joe Colombo. Joe Colombo 
who's got 13 bodies under his belt at this point. He's got no problem killing it. He's killed some pretty notable names along this way. Has to sit there and think about, is this suicide? Is this not? What do I do? I would assume he, at the end, you just flip a coin. You're like, hey, heads, I go through with the fucking hit. Tails, I, I, I go snitch and hope to God they don't kill me. He lands on tails. Fucking, he calls him up. And Carlo Gambino and Drill Pafacci, but mainly Gambino, have two bosses banished. And then instantly promote a, a, a captain right above underboss, right above a consigliere, right to just the head of a family, just like a, yeah. as a thank you, like a gift. They were able to give, he could give away an entire crime family as a thank you present. That's, mm. that's some power. Mm. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, and he, he knew, Gambino knew how to strategize, you know, he knew how to, how to do it all. It's like in uh, the early uh, 1960s, I believe it was 1962, he arranged for his son to marry Tommy Lucchese's daughter. Exactly. Yeah. Great power move. Yeah. And together, when, when that happened, I mean, they controlled the commission. They controlled airport unions, uh, mostly rackets at JFK. Goodfellas, when any time any of you people out there who are like, sometimes I feel like we get real deep and like people still listen and they enjoy it. But a lot of times they're like, I don't know what the fuck these guys are talking about. <laughs> if, if you just regular, regular folk out there, regular non-lunatic who can't stop reading mob shit folk, when you watch Goodfellas, the basis of that entire movie where they're robbing the airports and they're doing this and they're doing that is the Lucchese family and the Gambino family. That, that is pretty much who they're talking. When they kill Billy Bats, that's a member of the Gambino family. That's why they have such a problem. And they themselves are a crew that worked through a Lucchese captain, Paul Barrio, um, Paul Cicero in the movie. I don't know why they changed the fucking names. And yeah, so I mean, that's how that all works out. Just for anybody out there who's like kind of listening, like I don't fucking know what you guys are talking about when you say they, 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 they took airport unions. What the fuck does that mean? Like that, that's what that means. <laughs> I, but if you look at some of those moves, they don't ask because I mean, I've um, gone through some of Valachi's paperwork and um, he says that uh, Vito Genovese was still boss uh, basically until he died, which I suppose is the case. And if, even if you're in prison, you're still the number one boss, aren't you? You don't, you, you only stop becoming the boss when you die. So if you look back at some of the moves, you could easily um, put a jigsaw together that. Um, Valachi wasn't a coincidence uh, and was created. Um, <laughs> We're going back. Yeah, no, I mean, with, uh, yeah, but it, it includes Gambino. With, I mean, look, at the end of the day, true or not, I mean, it would show the strategist that Carlo Gambino was. Um, um, I, I think Carlo Gambino knew his moves a long time ago. I, I think he. He waited the years he waited to become boss of the of 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 uh, in Austria, um, and again, uh, were there any rats about uh, about Carlo? Has anyone come out apart from obviously John Elliot? But um, has anyone really um, said anything about Carlo Gambino in respect to ratting? I mean, I haven't really heard his name or seen his name in uh, much FBI stuff. Like every everybody had something to say. Like even even Henry Hill would tell you how powerful Carlo Gambino was, despite the fact that he'd never met him, let alone seen him, let alone would have been allowed anywhere near him. The fucking scumbag. But all of them had something to say about Carlo, but none of them had anything incriminating. You never had him on a tape. You never had him. He didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. He didn't. Uh, he was one of the few mob bosses who didn't run around on his wife. I don't believe he had any side girlfriends. Maybe when he was super young. 
maybe in like the thirties and the, you know, he probably frequented brothels or whatever you did, you know, during the bootleg era and, you know, things like that. But like in his later years, cause I mean, you got Paul Castellano who's pushing fucking pushing 60 years old, still running around on his wife with the maid, John Gotti couldn't quit fucking running around the, like, I mean, a lot of those guys get into a lot of trouble like that. They love the nightlife. Yeah. They love the, you know, they, they, they love the aura of being a gangster. Even if, I mean, I guess Paul Castellano wanted to be more like a wall street guy, but he still wanted to be known. He's still yeah. Carl Gambino he, still to be he, he still had over a hundred murders attached to his name, like Castellano. I mean, he wasn't. Okay. He, he was still an evil bastard. He might not have been a street guy, but he was still an evil bastard that didn't mind um, giving a nod when it was needed, Castellano. Yeah, see, he. I, I think he's he got old more school as well, wasn't he? I mean, he he was brought up the old school way. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. Uh, I mean, his family took uh, Costa Nostra very, very. He was very enriched in it. I just think with Paul Castellano, as much as people might not like him, he had a futuristic vision for the mob that was long before his time. He he was envisioning the mob sort of like how today it kind of is. The more the more on the white collar side. Not saying murders don't happen. Murders are always going to happen, but like more like uh, he, he was kind of he should have been boss in the era of like when Frank Cali mm. was boss and Paul Castellano. I think would have would have flourished and would have made the Gambinos the most powerful Costa Nostra family ever. Not saying I liked Paul as a boss, but I'm saying if like he's one of those people that if you just did stick it through and it would suck to work for him and I want to work for him and I get everything that happened to him. But he was moving the family. Rob, do you, Rob, do you think, and, and I hate the term mustache Pete's, but do you think that Gotti was, or Castellano, if you like, was the 80s eras of the end of the mustache piece, like the end of that type of boss and that um, Gotti and the ones that followed were the new types of boss that were going to be out there in the public eye. Um, they were going to, because at the end of the day, newspapers were writing about everything in them days, so they're going to take control, if you like, and they're going to put themselves out there. Do you think that was sort of um, around the Castellano time when he went? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, they, they called them the mustache. Pete's because you know, those are that title was basically for the guys that were born over in Sicily and uh, came over here, and then the ones that were born here, you know, Gaudi, all those guys, you know, it was a different era. Mm. Now, was Neil Delacroix born in Sicily? He was born in Sicily, right? Um, I don't know about Neil. That's a good. I, don't I know think about he Neil was. Either. Yeah, I think he was. I, I want to say he was too. Yeah. That's see now I got I gotta go off on a rant about that man for a second here because you want to talk about loyalty and like dedication to you know the rules and the Cosa Nostra and all that up until the Gotti era where I think he just got soft and he kind of like you know he he was their mentor and he took the mentor to more of like a like a father figure type thing and I I mean I do believe he still would have clipped all of them had he had been in better health and they had they have had Neil Delacroix as a younger captain yeah like a younger overseer. I do believe they would or he was the underboss, excuse me, but he's still kind of overseeing the Gotti crew. They were like his boys. But uh, yeah, Neil's dedication because he did, he did not support Gambino at first. He was an Anastasia supporter through and through. But your boss is your boss. Period. He did he did believe in that. He believed in the rules. He believed in the structure, and he believed the second you start going against the commission and what the powers that be, you know, say is like is then that's when the whole thing starts to crumble. And I, I always really admired that about him because then he, I mean, he fell into backing Gambino as hard as he would have backed Anastasia. And then when Gambino dies and he's hoping that it's his time and he leaves it to Castellano, he fucking bitterly, you know, just 
grins through it and backs Castellano as much as he ever backed Cambino or Anastasia. And that says a lot about a person. That says, like, a lot of motherfuckers can't do that. Most people in that lifestyle can't do that. They're sociopaths. Do we know like, that, that Delicoche Delicoche wanted the job, though? Did he want to be boss? I mean, he may have turned it down. Is it, Who tells us that um, he got, if you like, looked over? I mean, Castellano might have been in the mix for a long time and it's just one side of the story we're getting. I mean, because being underboss, I mean, you're, you're kind of out of the firing line, isn't you? But being boss, you're, you're, and there's a lot going on at that time. He knew the FBI was right onto the drugs. You had the FBN as well. So would he, did he want it? And, and exactly, he he knew he was sick as well. So did he really want that poison chalice, especially with the, the, the Gambino family at that stage, if you like, falling apart somewhat? I often, yeah, I, that's a good question. I often wonder if, um, you know, if Neil really wanted the top spot. Like, you'll see in the movies, it's portrayed, um, you know, like... The yeah, that he's real depressed and sad and, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, uh, you know, he, you know, like, almost like it was a, a bit of pill to swallow for him, but he just went ahead with it. So I wonder if that's how, you know, he was in real life or if that's just how they portrayed him in the uh, 1996 Gaudy movie. Mm. Yeah, where Charlton Heston portrayed him, which I actually really, really enjoyed... Uh, like the new Gotti movie was, I don't know. I'm not going to call it like the, the worst mob movie ever made because yeah, there's, there's some pieces of shit out there, but yeah, the 1996 one with, uh, Armada Asante and, uh, Charlton Heston. And, um, I forget the guy who plays big pussy, but he plays, uh, Oh, quack, quack, Angelo Ruggiero. And I, I didn't think there was better casting for those three than th- those three. I, I, thought Tra- like, I, I thought Travolta done a good job. Um, and, and it was everybody else around him who did terrible in the facts and like the Travolta actually did pretty good for John Gotti yeah. for being fucking, you know, for being hey, Vinny Barbarino to like, I'm going to be John Gotti. Like, you know, I mean, it wasn't bad, he but like everybody else. I expected. Yeah, My favorite I agree line with you, Bob, but yeah, it was better because it was getting panned before it even come out. But um, so I was, I was really expecting a load of trash and. To be honest, I don't think it was trash. I, I think it was a good depiction of what and, – and let's be honest, it come from the family as well. So we can kind of believe a lot – they might not have went on in the, in the sort of time scale that they show us, but um, a lot of it I would have thought would be true. That's not – see, that's where I feel like it gets watered down is because the family's involved in it. Look, I got nothing but respect for the Gotties. That was, had to have been a rough life for fucking Junior and Victoria and all them coming up. Your dad's fucking – He's loved by many, but he's fucking hated by the people that, you know, actually run the country. So, like, it's not going to be a good go of things. So you want to kind of view your dad as a hero because, like, the one thing neither Gotti movie showed is how much he ran around on his wife. And so everybody's got this depiction that John Gotti was a stand-up guy. Yeah, he might have been a little flaunty and a little – no, man, he was a scumbag just like the rest of them. Do I love him? Yeah. I wish I was Carlo Gambino, but if I ever ended up being a mob boss, I'd probably be a John fucking Gotti. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, I would. I'd be fucking in the cameras. Hey, how you doing? You know, I always feel good. They'd have me on tape saying all sorts of stuff, incriminating everybody, saying full names, all of it. I'm sure they would. But that's not – I don't know. That's where I feel like they, they they depicted the man properly. Like that's where my favorite line Travolta does is when uh, Angelo Ruggiero walks in the bedroom and he's sitting there and he's all like, I got – he's like, I got 10 dimes on Columbus. They're fucking losing. I got five on Michigan. They're down. He's all like, and then I got six on Ohio, and they're up, but they'll fucking blow it. Like, that is John Gotti's life. <laughs> that, like, Jenner game, but I thought that line was phenomenal. I laughed so hard I had to pause the movie. 
like it was it was pretty good because that's, like you know John Gotti can never put a bet. That's the thing though, Ian, isn't it? That um everyone wants to be John Gotti. Um because because uh, if you ask most mafia fans, not um like guys that are obsessed like us, <laughs> but most mafia right. fans is, is John Gotti or Don Corleone, of course, because that's where yep. the imagery of, of the mafia comes from and we know it's so much more than that. But I, I yeah, it's um I I I think it was unfairly pat. I think it's a better move than the Irishman, that's for sure. Um yeah, yeah, and better than one. Yeah, but it's more a documentary, I think, and and that I think people was expecting this Hollywood, uh, like they do these these Hollywood blockbusters. But it was more a documentary, and that's why I really enjoyed it because it wasn't pretending to be what it wasn't. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I feel you. it did. It did sort of put itself out out there on the line. Like I said, it's it's being called the worst mob movie of all time, but I I, I just don't know about that. That's a little. I'll say not worse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You see, have you ever seen this yeah, thing of ours? With, uh, have you ever seen this thing of ours with uh, what's his name, Frank Vincent? And I love oh, Frank yeah. Vincent. Really. <laughs> that movie's horrible, bro. There's that's a couple. The worst mob. Oh, there are some. Because we're really gonna break it down, the best mob portrayal, uh, Phil, are uh, from camera to screen for like entertainment. It's got to be The Sopranos, for me. Yeah, one of my favorites, The Sopranos. That was um. You know that was that was a great show. I don't think people give it enough credit. Well, some give mm-hmm. it obviously a lot of credit, but um, yeah, that was a very very close uh, portrayal at how the life really was. Because unlike in yeah, movies, they felt so gruesome. Yeah, they all didn't have those big mansions, and you know Tony did. You know he had a he had a nice house. He's a boss. Yeah, Paul Walnuts is living in a little one bedroom apartment, exactly. paying for his fucking. They showed Christopher struggling when he first gets made with the gambling because something. When you're flush in the mob, you're fucking flush. But when when it's a down week, oh buddy, you're fucking in for it. Yeah, exactly. You owe a lot of money. You got if you're paying five thousand dollars a week, you're paying five thousand dollars a week, whether you earn fifty thousand dollars or whether you earn five hundred dollars, you still gotta pay five thousand dollars. So that you're right, I think that does depict the the kind of um hierarchy within the mafia as well. Cause when I give when I gotta give it to a film, I give it to Goodfellas because the only reason I do that. I know it's about a rat, and I know it's about a guy who was never made, blah, blah, fucking blah. But one, Jimmy Burke is probably one of my favorite gangsters of all time. Two, Henry Hill's hilarious. And three, <laughs> it's fucking somebody who could – I've sat every girlfriend I've ever had down to watch Goodfellas with me. If they haven't seen it yet, then we get the step-by-step through how the mafia works. They don't – you don't have many questions at the end of the movie. You might have – like, they might have questions for me because they know I know all the real people and did this happen like that or this happen like that. depends how interested they get. You know what I mean? Uh, and then they listen to me ramble about it for five years and they gone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I but, do the same. I do the same. Like, I'll watch yeah, with my mother. All away. We're all going to die alone, boys. Well, you might not, David. Fucking congrats. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, good fellas, it'll take you on a step-by-step tour of this is how the mob works, this is how – yeah. But the thing good fellas did that – the that they shouldn't shouldn't have done is yeah they showed the down spiral but they never showed henry broke and you know for a fact henry was broke yeah once or twice in life. you know what i mean and that's why i liked about the sopranos is other than tony and tony even gets tight in a couple spots because like they are not doing as much business because they're at war and war is a big expense but like christopher they show christopher struggling they show paulie needing money they show you know like sill and tony are all right but i mean that's because sill i mean sill the realest one in the show for real to me uh, and 
Yeah, and then Tony's the boss. So I mean, yeah, like John Gotti, he was a guy. Um, like I read in uh, Sammy Gravano's book, and you know, I'm not a fan of Sammy, but he did write a good book with a lot of details. And in that book, it it shows you just how you know much Gotti did gamble. It was you know insane <coughs> amounts of money. He was always looking for uh, money out of people, especially Sammy. Um, he would want you know the cuts from the construction or whatever if sammy owed it on let's say a friday god he would want it on monday like he was just yeah. he always needed cash and he would even say like oh i got a loan shock in a payment thing i want a loan i want to make to someone and sammy knew the truth you know he knew he wasn't making a loan shot he bet three hundred thousand dollars on a single hand of dice was the most money he ever spent on one endeavor of gambling that's insanity yeah that's so much money like bet every line of every fucking team no matter what season it was football hockey basketball you know baseball fucking john Gotti would bet on two cockroaches racing across the floor from what i've heard of it like just like stories i've heard i mean i'm not bad mouth i'm not me i'd be ransacking fucking everything too i'm the boss of a crime family why why what the fuck else do you work this hard to get up here for if you're not just gonna flaunt it and spend it but that's where that's not supposed to be the life and back to who we were originally talking about carlo gambino that's where i feel like he he did it proper and mm-hmm. i really do wonder how much money he left behind to it to his kinfolk when he died. Like it had to have been a, a, a pretty nice chunk. Yeah, his kids are really uh, really rich real estate. They do a lot of um, you know a lot of charity and uh, and all that. Especially um, Tommy Gambino, the one who it, now Tommy Gambino died recently, didn't he? Uh, I believe that was um, his brother. I think Tommy Gambino is still with us. Oh, okay. Okay. I wasn't sure. I knew, I knew Carlos kids were slowly starting to go out. I mean, they are getting old. Yeah. I think he died in, uh, 72, I think. Yeah. No, 76, my bad. He died in 76. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, his kids, I mean, his kids have got to be getting up there. He has immense amounts of grandchildren, great grandchildren. I'm sure even great, great grandchildren run around at this point. Well, and I mean, the family still holds his name. Well, but they, um, from, Kind of 1959 onwards, um, and that's how long he started playing the, the uh, dodgy heart game. That they tried to deport him, and because uh, there's a rumor that he managed to bribe two senators or something. And I think that, and again, shows the kind of power he had. And then when you think of, um, you look back at prohibition, um, and that was the growth of the mafia then and there were certain as we me and Ian spoke last time and said like there were certain periods throughout um, history in respect to the mafia that certain things happened and enabled them to really take advantage and you had the the unions you had um, the garment industry of course and then the concrete I mean that and especially in New York what Carlo Gambino controlled was I mean was that luck that he was around at that time, or did he create those opportunities for the for the five families? Do you know what I mean? Because of his power, if he was able to stop himself being deported for what eighteen years from fifty nine <laughs> until he died, then surely he must have had some serious power in in Washington, let alone anywhere else. Yeah, he had a huge amount of connections, Carol, and that was one of the ways you know he um. He did everything the way he did. It's like, you know, like like I said, if anybody did it right, it's it's him. Mm. Oh, a hundred percent. And like you were saying, David, the whole how he would stop himself from getting deported was so brilliant. It, it, like 
you'd say there's different newspaper clippings where he's like he's in a uh, a gurney and he's got you know the oxygen mask on and he's he's fucking he's howdy doing everybody just playing like he's well this, Hoover this, said this he, won't, man. he was gonna die didn't he Hoover thought he was he, yeah. he said that he um his chances didn't look good. I believe that could have been I think Hoover he, covering for him also too you know because yeah, I, 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 I can't feel Hoover in his pocket for some reason I don't know I, I like totally feel- agree I, I agree with Yuri and I think Hoover and Gambino were more tightly linked than we give it credit for and I think that was more to do with Hoover's paranoia of communism and he needed to keep communism out of America and who better to have than your own secret army yeah, yeah, uh, of the, some of the most ruthless names you've ever heard of. Well, that's what, you know, like, that's how it all worked. That's how it all be, that's how it all begun. The the um, before prohibition, it was disorganized gangs that were going out on behalf of politicians so that they can do their little rackets and their 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 numbers games, and that the politicians and police look the other way. As long as when it comes to time to vote, those gangs yep. make sure that the person gets in. And then once, like the yeah, exactly. Uh, and then once prohibition come about, the gangs managed to organize nationally, and they started to control the politicians. A big thing for that too was uh, keeping people separated, which this country still does to this day. And somehow we just can't see through it. People are always like, "Oh, are you left? Are are, are you right? Like, what do you like? Who are you going to vote for? This and that." It's like it doesn't matter because mm. they're politicians. And every time you vote somebody in, guess what they do? Fuck us up the ass, just like the last person. <laughs> and that's that's what they did back then, too. They used to hate the Irish because the Irish are going to come here and take your jobs. Yada, 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 yada. Well, I mean, fucking eventually once the Italians realized, like, oh, you know, the Irish aren't that bad. And the Irish were like, yeah, I mean, I guess those Italians aren't that bad. And then everybody could kind of, like, settle down on the Jews. And then, like, you know, uh, uh, even Joe Colombo started working with African-Americans. And, I mean, like, you see once everybody can come together – that like you can overpower the government ten to one. They yeah, had like exactly. it, I mean, I heard I heard a statistic one time from a, an outlaw biker. He said if all the outlaw biker organizations all across America could all just put aside their bullshit for a week and all come together to like to really set some shit off, they'd have to bring in the National Guard to cool it down. And that's just bikers. Yep. That's only bikers. You know what I mean? And and it's true. It's a fact. Like so, if every mob family linked up, if every criminal organization, you know, if if the Sinaloa cartel and, and the uh, I forget the other name, uh, the other cartel family were, were to stop warring and were to link up, they could flood this country with drugs and guns, like beyond belief. But like, it's just that little bit of rivalry that keeps things, especially in, in, in a criminal aspect, keeps things to a, a dull roar, if you will, because families are always beefing and you know, I mean greedy. You know, think of how many more loads from Kennedy could have got jagged if there wasn't turmoil in between from the Columbos, the, you know, the Gambinos and the Lucchese's all like, well, who gets to take this load of furs? Well, we want it. No, we want it. No, we want it. Next thing you know, the load of furs gets delivered. Nobody got it, you stupid fucks. Figure it out. Mm. They were all stronger working together than apart, you know, which was, was something Bucky Luciano seen from basically the beginning, you know, when he formed the National Crime Syndicate. It's just it was easier and more profitable working together than going to war with each other. Oh, yeah, because no matter what religion you are, no matter what race you are, no matter what every we all bleed red and we're all chasing green. We're all chasing little green pieces of paper. And when nine bullets hit you, everybody bleeds red. (laughs) Oh, shit. What else you guys got? Let's see. Gambino, he when he links up with Genovese uh, in the mid 50s, once Genovese is a, a sort of power hungry and making his move towards taking over from uh, Frank Costello and eventually attempts to hit on Frank Costello, which goes botched, but it goes in the favor of uh, Genovese. 
Um, it, it's during this time period, too, that eventually Albert Anastasia, the Lord, Lord High Executioner, Mad Hatter, uh, overstays his welcome, if you will, in the Mafia. And uh, eventually, on October 25th, 1957, Anna, Anastasia is killed at the Park Sheraton Hotel and in the barbershop downstairs uh, by uh, allegedly Carmine Persico and, and the Gallo brothers, uh, Larry Kid Blast Gallo and Joseph Crazy Joe Gallo. And it's after that that David's favorite part of the mafia ever, Appalachian, so I'm going to let you ramble here in a second, David, <laughs> takes And that's sort of where uh, Genovese was going to anoint Carlo as boss amongst doing a bunch of other things. Uh, David and Rob, you want to pitter-patter us through Anastasia and then we, like how yeah. Carlo sort of – See, the, the, for me, the Anastasia deal um, or the Anastasia situation, because we all know that Anastasia was selling membership into the mafia. He was selling them for cash, the same as Frank's yeah, And And um, – uh, so that was one of the major reasons why he got taken out because he was obviously belittling Matthew. And, and not only that, um, if you're bringing in outsiders, you don't know who, well, um, you don't know who's going to rat on you. So <laughs> for me, I don't know. Um, I, th- there was a meeting just before uh, the month before um, uh, Appala- uh, November, the November Appalachian. And um, for me, that was where the situation with Anastasia was sorted. Um, I believe they had permission to take him out and away from the commission um, because I think it would have caused a hell of a lot more uh, of a war than what it actually, I mean, there was only a couple that had taken out following Anastasia, wouldn't they, to make sure that um, they didn't uh, re- uh, cause any revenge. But um, And then you've got the situation with uh, Magadino, who was Genovese wanted it, or, or um, Giancana uh, recommended that he has it in Chicago. Uh, and Genovese agrees, but it was Stefan uh, Megadino that um, says, let's go to uh, Appalachian. And yet in 56, you had the situation where Galanti got pulled over. Uh, he, he had lied saying that he had Di Palermo's license, got arrested. Four detectives then uh, went down to try and bribe him out and were arrested. And there was a big in- investigation into that. And that was going on while decisions were being made still about where to have this conference. And a lot of people that were there also were union members, uh, union bosses. And it was the, the, the meeting was called to, to really discuss the situation with the unions up and down the country because that was where the problems were and that's where the money was. Um, and I think following um, Appalachian, that when you really look between the lines of what followed after, not a lot really happened apart from Paul Castellano. He was the only one that lost out on his um, appeal. With a, I think he ended up with a $1,000 fine. But 62 people, I think it was, all won on appeal. Um, and, and for me, it seemed to have done more harm to the FBI than it ever did to the Mafia. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think, there's, as I say, there's an untold story behind Appalachian, and I don't think it's a story as it is what it is now. Um, I think there is an untold story sitting there based on the meeting that took place before in the October um, and the one that happened the, the year before. I think they're um, very much interlinked. So, yeah, it, it all seems a bit strange to me. And then everything that followed on from that, um, again, I think are pieces of a jigsaw that um, I've yet to put together. <laughs> Rob, what do you think about Appalachian? Do you think it's a... Uh... You got a big old conspiracy theory like our like our boy David here. Do you think like sometimes a cigar is just a cigar and like Appalachian was what it was? Yeah, I mean, 
I think the main part of them, you know, the Appalachian busted was, you know, the place they had it, of course. And, um, you know, all those guys, it, it says everywhere, all those guys driving in in these nice Cadillacs and, you know, Wear $2,000 suits and shit when you're around a bunch of blue collar people. Yeah, I think there was, there was one hotel where uh, Bob Boza, he rented the whole place out for, you know, in order to house everybody. And, yeah, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in Appalachia. That's how they, you know, caught on. And it was um, the state trooper, Edgar Croswell. Um, That's him. Yeah. <laughs> it. Damn, about the last time we was, um, we was chatting Appalachia. A Eric Eddie, every oh, night, man. but... <laughs> Yeah, it happens to me a lot where I'll go blank and, you know, not think of someone's name right away and all that. Especially when you know when you're recording, man. That's why I always tell you guys, like, just relax and fucking just have fun with it, man. What? Oh, so we botch a couple names here and there, so we forget a name here and there. You know how much shit we know, people? Like, if, for anybody sitting, just sitting back there listening to this podcast being like, oh, these guys don't seem like they know that much. Fuck you, bro. You know how many fucking... <laughs> We're ever in the mafia. You know how many names this is? You know how much, many books that me and I know these two have just full up of names, dates, times, places, people who killed, maybe people who killed them. Oh, wait, we found out that guy wasn't there. He was in jail. So scratch his name, put another name there. Like, it's a fucking, it's like a big old web, man. My, my notebooks are crazy full. And every time I find a new fact, you got to go back sometimes oh. and, you know, scribble off a name and be like, no, that guy couldn't have been there because he was fucking dead already. You know, sometimes you forget. I love research. Oh, me too. I feel you. But like it does, it, when you start to ramble about it, it does get hard. It seems like that's where like writing's beautiful because you can like break down so much and decipher and like, but like when you are just trying to like, you know, shoot the shit about it and you're trying to put it into a podcast form, I suppose, uh, unless you're Scott M. Bernstein, apparently. Because <laughs> that guy doesn't miss a beat, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Scott again. Yeah. With every story, there's like also like, you know, three, four versions. So, yeah. like you said, it's hard to keep up with it all. Oh, this guy did that. This guy did this. You know how many different people I've heard killed Anastasia? Like, and I'm just, I'm, I'm sold on the Gallo brothers and Carmine Persico. It makes a lot of sense. And I'm, and I'm backing that one. That's that, like, that's my final answer. Like, but I've heard so many different tales. And then I've heard three shooters, four shooters, two shooters, a shooter. Like, I mean, like, that, and that's just one hit, people. <laughs> yeah. There's so, and, uh, names involved in it. Oh, and the nicknames, too. Don't forget about I mean, don't – how many different guys are there? Fat Sal. How many Fat Sal's are there in the Mafia? How many – how many whatever the animals, whatever, are there? How many – you know, like, there are so many different, like, you know, other than, like, the few people who got really, really distinctive nicknames. Johnny Boy. Like, we'll always all think of John Gotti, but there's a couple of Johnny Boys in the Mafia. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's a few guys that'll have the same, uh, the same nickname, you know, whether one's, you know, from New York, one's from Boston, like, you know, there's so many people with different nicknames that... Yeah, Nicky Glasses, there's one in every city. Yeah. <laughs> Swear to God, bro, every time I'm researching more and more in the mafia, you always get somebody that's like, oh, Nicky Glasses, oh, Nicky Glasses, fuck it. <laughs> and they all always got those big old Buddy Holly <laughs> bottles, like the 50s, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, yeah, you're Nicky Glasses, all right. It's crazy the way some of them get their uh, nicknames, too. It could come from, you know, their fellow, you know, uh, mob guys, or it could come from uh, a newspaper story where... Wasn't it normally the mafia, though, Rob? What what was that? Uh, Sorry, wasn't it normally the media that um, gave people their nicknames? Yeah, it happened, you know, I don't don't know who I'd say gave out, you know, more nicknames if 
the mob guys came. I'd say 50-50. I would really split it down the... To belittle them, really, wouldn't it? Not to make them, to try and sort of make them less uh, heroic, if you like, I suppose, in the eyes of those coming up, um, to try and belittle them. The way Whitey Bulge's nickname, for example, came up is when he was on the run as a young kid, he was hiding out. Um, He still, he stayed in Massachusetts. He didn't go too far. But when they caught up to him, his hair was dyed, you know, so blonde that it looked white. And that's how, you know, that's how his name stuck. It's... I bet his death was celebrated in Boston, wasn't it, when he went? Yeah, yeah, because he was, you know... Uh, an oh, they threw on the dropkick Murphys and they fucking popped a couple rolling rocks and it was on, Dave. You already know. Yeah, he was... Yeah, man. I mean, that that uh, that was obviously... He was set up to be taken out quite clearly, but um, his time... Uh, he, he lasted longer than he deserved. Yeah, in the prison, you know... They should have known putting him into general population was going to be a problem. Yeah, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. You don't put you don't put rats in general population. That's nah, just not going to get unless you know you want them taken out of something. Now I'm not saying any law enforcement was in on the budget thing, but I just don't think they they can't. I'm 100 percent that they were. He was he was getting documentary deals and book deals and left and right. Like he had already fucking shot his mouth off a a shitload. Eventually there was going to be some FBI names that. That they didn't like, they didn't care that John Connolly's name got thrown out. They didn't care about the the few people who the media would. It seems like the feds are okay with admitting there's dirty feds, but they don't want it to go too far up the line. You know what I mean? So I, I 100% feel like they threw Bulger in a general population cell, knowing damn well what would happen to him. Knowing damn well what would happen. To him. I believe so. So I don't think anybody was surprised that uh, he was killed. Yeah, there's no real love loss when he died. Was there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rob, is that how they celebrate everything in Boston? You guys throw on Dropkick Murphy shipping up to Boston and just, like, let loose? or <laughs> I guess so, yeah. That's how they all do it. I, I guess so. It's cool, bro. We throw on Eminem, like, or Kid Rock or something. Like, <laughs> ain't no shame in it. Anytime something happens good in Detroit, we're all like, yeah, throw on some Kid Rock. Fucking <laughs> crack me a Fago. <laughs> David, have you ever had a Fago? Do they have Fago over there? Um, no, gone. What is it? No, well, no, because I'd know the name because it's not. It's quite an unusual name. So no, I don't know what Fago is. FedEx you some. I'm gonna FedEx you some Fago and some better made chips and a Verner's, and you can thank me later. Okay, all right, sounds good. They're delicious. Do you like ginger ale? Uh, no. All right. Do you like orange soda? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna send you a Fago orange then, and your life's gonna change. <laughs> well, yeah, of course it will, because it means it's all gonna have to try and sort out some form of shipping if I'm gonna get addicted to the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the best part is Fago's like a dollar nine for a big old like sixty-six ounce. They're cheap. It's a cheap product. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Talking, um, um, someone we, I did miss out is, um, and someone I've been really impressed with their journey. Mobbed up Inc. Um, uh, Gino Gaelle. Is it Gino? Gina, Gina Gaello in it, Rob, that does Mob Dub Inc. I believe so. Yeah, just um, with all them products they've now got coming out. And, I mean, I remember when they first come on Facebook and they, like, kind of first started on Facebook. And, um, yeah, there was just something about Gino. Uh, and and it, it's been great to watch. So that's why I want to give them a shout-out because it's been great to watch, oh, yeah. their, um, watch their rise. And, of course, Dane Dillon Music as well, who they produce. He's, he's awesome, man. He's on Instagram, by the way, if anyone to follow him. Uh, gotta give a big shout out to Vincent Apra too, because like that—that's another guy uh, that I have. Dude and half. What's up? That's a dude, and I've learned so much from Vincent. Oh, 
oh my god, dude, it, it, infinite amounts. Like yeah, I've had so many problems, and if like and if David's asleep and I can't get a hold of Rob because we're on the same timeline, he's like, Ian, I'm not up at two in the morning. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm Vinny the librarian, that's what I call him, dude. He that motherfucker's like an immense uh, like. Well, you don't know not- about the Genovese family, ain't worth knowing. <laughs> yeah, right. If if Vito, if Vito Genovese did anything, Vince Napper knows about it. Yeah. He's why I'm gonna I'm actually gonna bite his style a little bit. I don't wanna try to get something going because on his left inner leg, he's got the Vito Genovese mugshot. I'm gonna get Gambino's mugshot and we're gonna see if we can't get a whole little little dossier thing rolling where everybody gets their favorite mobster, their mugshot tattooed on the inner left leg. It'll be like a little club. <laughs> I'm fifty one years old, brother. <laughs> hey, you'll be yeah, I mean, come on now. Don't you show me. You guys, we'll get some I look. Tony Ocado would be mine, so. Hey, that's a boss-ass fucking. That's a, that'd be a good tattoo, though, man. Like, I'm especially like tuna. <laughs> Just a big tuna. You're like, yeah, yo, big tuna. <laughs> One of my baseball, baseball bat. What's up? Baseball bat. Joe Bad is. Well, brothers, we did a we did about an hour, yeah. and uh, I got to go see a gentleman about a car. And uh, we don't want to talk people too much. But I am so happy we did. Yeah, I got a big smile, man. It's been great. I think we should yeah, do I'm a getting... part two on uh, Gambino, and we'll finish it all up and everything. I enjoyed this one, so that yeah, was... I knew this was going to go this awesome. way anyway. That's why. That's why I said earlier about it. Like, let's just see where it goes. We got a time. Let's see where it goes. Fucking <laughs> the hip. Let's just get after it. No, you guys down for next Saturday around the yeah, same good time? Me, brother. Yeah, that's perfect. All right. How about you, Rob? <laughs> Later, brother. All right, later, everybody. Rob, oi, right, Rob, it's been emotional. It's been emotional, brother. Honestly, Rob, it's been great to speak to you. It's been a long time. I know we chat on Messenger and that, but it's been a long time, man. Yeah, me. It's always great to talk about. Shut up, you, Ian. It's all wrong. Dave and I actually uh, met on accident. Almost, um, I-, I seen his group had a similar uh, photo. Uh, to mind so i just messaged him a background pic to the group and uh, i had messaged him about it and we got to talk and that was probably a few years back and we've been very close ever since 100 100 and you too rob it's, it's actually it, do you know what i learned so much i said to ian last time that i learned so much from um working with you and i say working because it was kind of working in a way um on the emerge social club on facebook and and the other staff there michael peter um, Phyllis, of course. Um, I apologise if I I don't think I've been, obviously there was um, Remo. I don't think I've missed anyone else off. And Ian, of course. Pete, Peter, um, Peter, yeah. Loved it. Everyone at Emerge Social Club and all the members as well. I mean, they were a fantastic group. They really did ask proper questions um, and, and it really made you want to be able to research properly to provide the right information for them as well. So I appreciate yeah. everything you've done for me, Rob. I learned an enormous amount from you as well, especially when it comes to the writing and how to tell the stories. And I mean, Thank you, you are literally one of the best I have ever seen at putting a, a story together. The, Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Chips you and have given me. <laughs> okay, boys. That bro. It's been a pleasure. All right, bro. Oh, always a pleasure. We'll get together always. next Saturday. I'm just uh, saying. It's great to talk to both of you, and uh, I'm gonna get this bitch published, and we gonna we gonna get her out. Get her out there. Layers. Okay, my brothers.